Good morning. Welcome to Belleville First Church of Nazarene. Please stand and worship with us this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Nice to have you worshiping with us this morning. And if you're worshiping with us online, we also want to say welcome. It's good to see you this Christmas before the birth of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Everyone, a lot of us are in our Christmas attire, except me. I didn't plan very well, uh, unless yellow and blue are Christmas colors. It's good to see you. A few announcements this morning I'd like to draw your attention to. Our prayer and Bible study will once again be by Zoom this Tuesday evening at 6.30, so please join us for that. Baby bottle campaign, we're getting an early start on uh, this, this year. Out in the foyer, you will find uh, baby bottles. This is for the Mosaic uh, Pregnancy Center, so if you would like to participate, Grab a bottle, throw your spare change in there, and I think that will be sometime in January or February that we will collect these. So plenty of time to start collecting uh, your loose change for, or loose dollar bills, or your loose 20s for, uh, for the uh, mosaic. Uh, this afternoon, right after the service, immediately following the service, we will have our vote for our pastoral candidate that the church board is nominating, so we will open the ballots for that immediately following the service. And after the service, I will uh, will hold our special board meeting. So all members who are, uh, all, everyone who is a member of Bevel First, 15 years of age and older are allowed to vote uh, right after the service. Christmas Eve service, we will once again hold that. That will be 6 p.m. Uh, Christmas Eve which I understand is on the 24th this year. Is that right? Is that right, Dwight? Okay, so unless they change it, well, who, who knows this year? So if you can uh, join us uh, on the 24th on Christmas Eve, 6 p.m., we will also be uh, broadcasting that by Facebook and kind of like our Sunday morning services. So we would encourage you to join us for that, for that service. A couple of more things. Next Sunday, or this coming Sunday, I guess, a week from today, 
our own Luke Krumzig will be bringing the message to us. So yeah, he is a he is a pastoral student at Olivet. So yeah, we're gonna fill this place up, Luke. If you're listening, we can't do that, can we? So Luke will be uh, preaching uh, this coming Sunday. And uh, as a tradition for Belleville First, I would like to ask a few folks to come up, and we want to say a special Merry Christmas to our staff who help uh, not only uh, Dwight with the, with the sermon, but, but uh, Karen as our campus administrator, and Tom and Bonnie who keep this place looking great week after week after week. So Tom and Bonnie, or Bonnie, if you'd like to represent Tom and Bonnie, I don't see Karen, so I'll keep hers. <laughs> She'll be here later. And then Dwight, if you would come forward, please. So Tom and Bonnie, there you are. You. Merry Christmas you. to you. Dwight, Merry Christmas to you. Let's give them a round today. <laughs> Have you come to worship today? Amen. Amen. Craig and Carla Weiss will be on the, on the screen, and they will provide our Advent reading this morning. Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very lives. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, your longings. There is no ceiling to love. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23, 6. This fourth Sunday of Advent is one in which we focus on love. And I invite you to join with me in the responsive reading as we've been doing. I'll read the reader part, and we'll all read together in the response. We light these candles as a sign of the coming light of Christ. Advent means coming. We are preparing for the full coming of Christ. We, we are, are ready, ready for, for Christ, Christ to, to come, come and make, make all things new. The fourth candle is a symbol of love. The commandments are all summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Come glorify the Lord. In the depths of your being, rejoice in God our Savior. God has looked with favor on the low status of his servants. He has looked on us with his faithful love. From now on, we will consider our lives blessed because the Mighty One has done great things for us. Holy, Holy is his name. He, he shows, shows mercy, mercy to everyone, from, from one generation, generation to the next. God has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He, he has, has pulled, pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has come to the aid of his people. He remembers his steadfast love and mercy. No one has ever seen God. But, but when, when we, we all love one another, his love is made complete in us. We are preparing for the love of the Lord to be revealed in us. Come, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We are ready for you to come and make all things new. Join me in prayer. Lord, we come to this time of worship this morning. Grateful, Lord, that you are with us. That your promise to never leave us continues to be fulfilled, even in difficult times. Lord, we are desirous that not only that we are aware that you're with us, but we would, we would wish that for our entire community. 
for our families, for our nation, for our world. May the love that you have planted in us, may it continue to grow, and may the light of that love that is Christ's love in us be a great light. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and continue worshiping with us this morning. The first Noel the angel did say was to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay in fields where they lay
sin. We come to our time of prayer. And I'm sure we need to play for your frayed nerves, maybe some blood pressure issues, last minute things, that, that thing you're not going to be able to get remember. If you and another person are eyeing the same thing and you're still socially distanced and you're trying to figure out how to get it before he does, you're commanded to love one another. Even your enemies. So if that person is getting what your grandchild wants, you're going to be tempted to consider them an enemy in this short, brief time. Right? Well, if you're like some grandmothers, I know you would. So, love even your enemies. So not only are in this week, it's an interesting week. We're, we're going to pray and get ready for Christmas, and we're going to be thinking about that. But tomorrow is the winter solstice. Do you know that for thousands of years, people in Northern Europe were con- thoroughly convinced that that the day was dying, that the sun was dying. And there developed traditions to help bring the sun back to life. That was before science and modern capacities to gather knowledge began to teach us that other things were going on. We've been trying to influence our world forever. Now, you not you see the greenery around us? It doesn't come from Bethlehem. Some long time ago, we began to mix the traditions of the birth of Christ with the death of the Son and the rebirth of the Son. So I challenge you. And my prayer for you today is that you are capable of separating out the customs of Christmas and enjoy them from the meaning of Christmas and the purpose of Christmas. Let us pray. Lord, we know that we and the entire creation are in your hands. And we know that you, Lord, give us freedom to respond to you, to say yes, to say no. And as Christ came, and dwelt among us. The responsibility for those choices became even more acute on our part. So in this week, when we're remembering all the things we've lost because of the virus, and we're, and we're bemoaning that life isn't the way we want it to be, let us be thankful that we have it. Let us be thankful that if we act responsibly, we're more likely to come out of this on the other end. And if we act irresponsibly and with only a focus on ourselves, then we will continue to suffer in many of the ways we're currently doing. That's not the spirit of Christmas. Because Paul told us so. Christ laid down his advantage and descended from heaven for us. So may we, Lord, as we celebrate the birth of the Christ child, enter into the spirit of his incarnation. And may we incarnate the love of this week for those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? And this child that you deliver will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would give sight to the blind man? And Mary, did you know that your baby boy would calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod And when you kiss your little baby You've kissed the face of God Oh Mary, did you know? Oh Mary, did you know? Christmas traditions. One I'd like to, well, no, I wouldn't like to institute it. One I'm, I, I like to talk about instituting, but I really wouldn't like to serve is the one that we got used to doing in Burundi. And that was uh, a 4 a.m. Christmas morning service. Nobody had alarm clocks. So there was a bell that I could not, I mean, it, it was 100 feet from our, our, our back porch, and I couldn't reach around it. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, the night watchman would ring this bell so that it could be heard across the mountains, and people would get up, and then they would, one of the most beautiful things we've ever witnessed was having coffee on our front porch, because we were up at 3 o'clock, and we only had 200 feet to walk. And... Um, People coming with flashlights along the, the pathway on the, on, on the hills around us, singing Christmas carols as they came to church. And we'd worship with 800, 900 people at 4 o'clock on Christmas morning. Now, just like the greenery that's left over from the solstice and worrying about the death of the sun, we have cinnamon rolls on Christmas morning. It's now part of our tradition because that's what Brenda could make the night before, get it ready, um, and would cook on her wood stove because for those two and a half years, that's what she had to use was a wood stove. And so we now, 40 years later, still eat cinnamon rolls. We have to explain it to all of our new in-law kids as they come in. <laughs> Why in the world 
Do, does your spouse want to have cinnamon rolls? Cause the bell rang. Okay. This morning we're going to read from Luke's gospel. And we're going to read Luke 1, 28, uh, 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and he said, Greetings, favored one. This, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now... Your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed. From her. Most of you could tell me this story almost word for word from Scripture. It's not new to us. I always found these to be the most challenging services to find a new or a fresh way to excite you about an old story. So let me try. Let me recap. Who are, the, who are the primary actors in this story? Well, we've got to start with Mary, don't we? A Jewish virgin, engaged, betrothed to Joseph. Now, it meant something different in those days because by, by custom and by law, she was, they were considered married. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But she was to become the vessel of the divine seed. Gabriel, an angel who is frequently sent by God on special assignments like this. And so he's come to inform Mary of her favor and her task. Now, I think her response is pretty rational, don't you? How am I supposed to be a mother? Well, Gabriel explains that the Spirit's going to come upon you, and then he links her story to the story of her cousin, Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth's old. In a minute, I'm going to ask you to enter into this story, but right now, I just want how many of you would be excited about being pregnant right now. I, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. And in fairness, I wouldn't eliminate the males in the room either. Um, but none of us would ever be excited about that. So anyway, she's old, and she's married to a priest named Zechariah. Unlike Mary, she became pregnant in the customary way, except 
She was old. And like so many women in Scripture who are identified with God's movement and God's purposes, and she has a key role, she's well beyond the expected time for giving birth to a child that will be a turning point in the work of God. Put a placeholder here. Put a placeholder here. We'll get back to this. Zechariah. Zechariah, her husband, who we don't read about. Um, his story was just before this. He was in the temple, and he had drawn the lot of going, going to the incense altar and lighting incense. Now, talking about traditions changing, originally, this was restricted only to the high priest. Uh, in the time of Solomon's temple, um, maybe even as late as seven, 800 years before this period, it was still restricted to the high priest. But now they drew lots. And Zechariah received what was considered a very special honor. And he's lighting the incense, which signifies the prayers of God's people. And coincidentally, people are in the outer courts praying while this ceremony is going on. It's been speculated that Zechariah was probably also praying. <coughs> Either from the coming Messiah or what appeared to be hopeless, a coming son. Now Luke, unlike Matthew, has no reference to Joseph other than just to, to name him. He's not had anything to do with this. Matthew relates how this delicate situation is being communicated to him. Clearly, when he gets the news that this woman whom, to whom he's married and has had no sexual relations is pregnant, it says something about him that he was willing to quietly give her a writ of divorcement, which meant only two or three people would be there. In a dream, an angel appears to him and explains to him the details of what's really going on. And quoting from Isaiah 7.14, the angel convinces him, and Joseph commits himself to participating in God's new initiative. Now, these four humans, and at least one, maybe two angels, assume a critical role in the unveiling of the Messiah. Both Matthew and Luke merge two stories. And they merge those stories, I think, in order to give legitimacy to what they are telling is happening. Because who's going to believe a virgin can give birth to a baby? Unless you're like us and we've been raised on it. They needed clarity and they needed legitimacy. So Matthew, being pragmatic, introduces from Isaiah, excuse me, from Isaiah the prophetic story that a young woman or a virgin, it can be translated either way, will give birth to a child during the reign of Ahaz. Luke links Mary's pregnancy to that of Elizabeth, both of them astonishing occurrences. More than 700 years before Gabriel appeared to Mary, Geopolitics in the region placed both the northern and southern kingdom, Israel and Judah, in danger of being annihilated. The kingdom of Assyria was beginning to flex its muscles, and these small nations on their fringe could become dangerous in their, their maneuvering with Egypt, who was on the other side of them. So Rezin, the king of Damascus, and Pekah, the king of Israel, spearheaded a coalition to stand up to the Syrians. And they invited Ahaz, the king of Judah, to join in. 
Ahaz said no. Now a coalition like this, and remember Judah's on the south, and a coalition like this cannot feel very secure if you've got a potential enemy on your southern flank and you're facing a larger enemy coming from the north. Isaiah comes to Ahaz and he says, you need to depend upon the promises of the Lord. The Lord has promised David that your reign will persist. You need to pay attention to that because Ahaz was making noise about forming an alliance with Egypt. Ahaz agrees he needs to resist, but he's got his own plans. He first offers his own son as a human sacrifice to assure God's favor. He rejects Isaiah's counsel, <coughs> and then he makes a treaty with Telgath Pilliser of Egypt. And in the midst of this, Isaiah says, there is a maiden who's going to give birth to a child. And before the child is old enough to eat solid food, these things will come to pass. In the midst of a national calamity and death, a young woman with a child makes a difference. And the name of the child? Emmanuel. The name of that child in Isaiah was Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means? God with us. Ahaz rejected the idea that God would be with him and went out on his own. Well, now we've got these four people that are being invited to participate in God's plan for God being with us. Have you ever just really missed something in your life that that your life you consider is not complete because you've never gotten it? Well, that's the way it was for Elizabeth. You see, in her time, being barren was an issue of shame. Now, Elizabeth is at the, the near end of a 1,600-year history, stretching all the way back to Sarah where God works in these situations to do surprising and wonderful things. But Elizabeth, like all the women before her in this situation, had experienced shame and alienation because she was barren. Now, this idea doesn't fit with our current cultural norms. We think it quaint or somehow demeaning. So, okay, I'll give you that we hold, understand human worth in a different way, but I don't want you to be ethnocentric. Promise me. Ethnocentric means you're going to use our culture to, be, to critique things in other people's culture you don't understand. So before you begin to judge those around Elizabeth and Elizabeth herself to her responses, I want you to enter into her story. I don't want you to feel superior because we live in more enlightened times. I want you to understand both the despair that Elizabeth had experienced and now the utter ecstasy that had come upon her because not only was she with child, but the shame that she had experienced all of her married life was about to be lifted. I also want you to understand that Zechariah, when the angel appeared to him in the temple and he questioned, and it wasn't a whole lot different than Mary's questioning, but he questioned what was happening, Zechariah was muted and would stay that way until the birth of John.
shame is something we feel because. It's, 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 it's what we, how we evaluate ourselves. Mary didn't have shame. She was right at the pinnacle of life. Now, she was probably only 15 or 16, so it's hard to say she was at a pinnacle at that age. But she was, she was betrothed. She was married. She had entered into this period of, of celebration and preparation, waiting for the final marriage ceremony and the consummation of her marriage to Joseph. Joseph was using this time probably to build a house, and Mary was gathering all of the utensils and things she needed to set up housekeeping. What Mary was about to take on was not shame, but guilt, or the appearance of guilt. Her community would expect her to feel guilty that she had gotten pregnant before she was married, (coughs) and that she'd gotten pregnant, and clearly her husband wasn't the father. Joseph felt that way, his initial response. Shame and guilt were the costs of being available to serve God. I want you to understand today that these persons who are playing a role in this event paid a cost to be available to God. What did Elizabeth do? As soon as she found out she was pregnant, she went into seclusion. I've heard it on good authority that a woman shouldn't tell anyone she's pregnant in her first trimester. Is that true? Is that good advice? Why? Miscarriage? You don't want to have to explain. Can you imagine being as old as Elizabeth was, and finally the whole community finds out you're pregnant, and now if you have a miscarriage, your shame will be doubled. Now the, 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 the wags are going to say, that's God's judgment. Yes, she got pregnant, but God didn't let her have that child. What is wrong with her? So she did the smart thing, and she went into seclusion. And it is no accident that Mary's about three months pregnant when she pays a visit to Elizabeth. Why? Because she's about to show. And it was time to take a trip. Now, if you're not satisfied with the the scanty details that I've given you, you need to know that neither am I. But there just aren't any more. This is what's there. And this summary, I want to know more details than this summary provides me. But the one thing that is clear that's happening here is that these people are being asked to no longer be the main characters in their own story. You see, you and I, we're the main characters in our story. And that's fine. That's how we develop person, our, 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 our sense of self and personality. But we have to have the capacity to become a bit player sometimes, become a role player, become a supporting player. And that's what God was asking these people to do. You know why? Not because he's unreasonable, but because he's jealous. It's his story. These people need to take this role so that the story of God and his work with us can move forward. So you and I have to figure out how we can move from being the lead character to a supporting role. And what was their response? Astonishment, ecstasy, bewilderment, regret, disbelief, And finally, submission. 
they moved into being a supporting cast. Matthew, the messianic arrival was foreshadowed by Isaiah's words to Ahaz. For Luke, remembering that God was present in the midst of difficulty was critical. Mark doesn't even feel the need to talk about the birth of Jesus. He begins his story with a baptism by John. The other John, who wrote the gospel, established that Jesus was pre-existent. Even before the birth, there was this pre-existence that had to be accounted for, and that he was present at the creation of the universe. So today, you and I are the main characters in our story, and pride will keep us there. Pride will is defined, for, I would like you to define it with me, as an assessing of all events and all encounters as how they impact our story. If everything that happens, you assess it by how it affects you, you're a prideful person, and so am I. Love, on the other hand, is the capacity to sacrifice the leading role for a greater good, for someone else's good. Mary, Elizabeth, Zachariah, and Joseph were surprised by how these things unfolded, but after they took hold of themselves and began to understood, they surrendered the lead. And Jesus was born. Each of them loved God and surrendered to his purpose. When God's with us, we have the capacity for that kind of love. We have the capacity to see good when evil is apparent. Emmanuel love, God with us love, sees and acts in a way that is consistent with God's storyline. Now, I've been told that I dated myself by wearing a 30-year-old tie today. If I use Helen Keller as an illustration of my dating myself as well. Do you guys know Helen Keller? Okay, good. I always have to think that through when, when I'm talking with college students because they always look at me like I'm an idiot uh, when I talk about gasoline going from 25 to 33 cents a gallon and the world coming to an end. Queen Elizabeth was giving an award to Helen Keller and thanking her for all of her work. And Helen Keller told the queen, if it wasn't for Ann Sullivan, you wouldn't even know about Helen Keller. Helen Keller was born blind, and she was unable to hear. Ann Sullivan was born into a difficult situation, and as a small child was declared insane. She was put in one institution after another and kept in the basement most of the time. And except for one elderly nurse, she was basically ignored. But this one nurse spent years investing in Ann Sullivan and trying to draw her out and trying to, to, to bring her to realize what was within her. Cookies were involved, I've heard. But she was successful and able to get Ann to begin to make progress. And when Ann was released... She built on that compassion she had experienced from others, and she extended it to others. And it was that compassion that enabled her to see in Helen Keller something worth rescuing. And so Anne loved her, and disciplined her, played with her, prayed with her, and worked with her until that small flicker of light in, in Helen became a beacon for many in the world. With God alongside of them, our cast members paid the cost of obedience and love. Each weighed those costs. Each weighed the costs that changed the lives they had been living in order that they might be used by God in his storyline. 
You see, we have the right to refuse God. We shouldn't, but we do. He gave that to us. We can say no. So what would have happened if Mary had said no? We have to be available to God. Do you know the Sawi people? The Sawi people are in a group from Indonesia. One of my favorite stories is the story of how they were introduced to the gospel. A missionary went to them and began to work with them. But they were warlike. They were headhunters and they were cannibals. So they make ringing bells at 3 o'clock in the morning look like child's play. We had nothing like that. The Sawis resisted. And in fact, one day the missionary was telling them the story of, of, the, of the last night and the crucifixion. And the Sawi began to perk up and he thought, I'm getting through to them. And when it was finished, he realized what they had responded to not, was not Jesus, it was Judas. Because deceit and betrayal were valued as positive things among these people. And Judas was, for them, Judas was the hero of the story. In his efforts to evangelize them and, and, and bring the gospel to them, he brought them together for different occasions, and it just increased the tension. <clears throat> and he was about to get, in fact, he did give up. He was getting ready to leave. They were all standing around. There was tension in the air, tension thick enough to cut. And all of a sudden, a warrior on one side grabbed his nursing son from his wife's breast and ran across the open space to the other side and gave this child to a warrior and returned to his wife's side, who was screaming all the time, you might expect. And just as he got back into his own ranks, someone from the other side grabbed a child and brought him over and placed him with someone in the, on the first side. And the missionary couldn't figure out what in the world was going on. These people that had been threatening violence towards each other. And his, in his confusion, he asked what was going on. And he was explained that when the tribes exchanged children, they could live together in peace as long as the children were hurt by members of the other tribe. And that the child was a guarantee of peace. After the two children had been exchanged, shouts broke out, dancing broke out, and they began to talk to one another in ways the missionary had never seen before. Now he had a hook. And he explained to these people that Jesus was God's peace child. That God sent him here in the same way that they had exchanged children. And, and it clicked. And Judas was no longer the, the, the hero because it was greatest failure. to abuse a peace child. That's the message of Advent. God sent his son. God prefaced his coming by hundreds of years of history so that you and I can be here now and have a glimpse of what it means to talk about Emmanuel. God with us. But my friends, if you don't make room to be a supporting player in God's storyline, you can't do that. Because you're still living a life of pride. You're still demanding to be to have top billing. And if any of our four characters had chosen that route, 
we probably would be sitting here, but we'd be talking about other circumstances, other people. Do you want to enter into God's storyline? Practice this week, making him the primary player in, in our play. Christmas, it's about family. It's about love. It's about sharing. It's about eating good food and having good times with each other because Jesus was born. This week, make Jesus' birth your primary celebration. Let us pray. Lord, in this time, we confess our pride. We confess our failure to be able to make you known as we should. We confess, Lord, that we want to be the primary character. We want our story to be the most important. Help us to see how we fit into yours and then give us the courage that Mary and Elizabeth, Zachariah and Joseph displayed. Help us be willing to pay whatever costs we will have to incur to enter into your story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand and continue to worship with us. One, two, one, two, three, four. Dismissed. If you uh, if you are staying.